Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of May 2011. For newcomers, please look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds of audios for a free download and hopefully you'll have basically clues to the big system uh, and shortcuts to the big system that runs the world, where it's headed, uh, how long it's been in operation, and really it's way above politics, it's way above the systems, even the countries. It's one big international gang, of course, of the richest people on the planet who really run the world. And to show you how they, they do it, I, I've given you, as I say, hundreds of audios to choose from with lots of information, books to read, and so on. So help yourselves. And remember, too, all those sites listed on the com site have transcripts in English if you want to print some up of some of the talks I've given. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentin, sentinel.eu, and help yourself from the variety offered there. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you could buy the, bit, the discs and the books that I sell on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check, and you can also use PayPal to order. Use the donation button you'll see in the com site, and follow it with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And you can also use a personal check, as I say, a personal check or international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada or cash even. That gets through as well. Across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, PayPal. Remember, two straight donations are certainly uh, appreciated because things are really climbing. As we all know, we're all going through it, uh, this forced austerity after supposedly bailing out the banks that uh, lost all their money to some place called Money Heaven, where I guess they've got their own uh, archangel with a key, no doubt, because nothing really gets lost in this world, believe you me, Uh, not for these boys. So that's the world that we live in, and I try to show you the agenda, uh, where it's heading, how it's been done, and I'm sure most of you who listen to this broadcast regularly have a good understanding already of the associations, the foundations, the private foundations, the NGOs that are funded by them, armies and armies of them that lobby government, along with the, the corporate business structure, international business. They really uh, are all in at the top levels of uh, running this world into this new system, a system which is to be a feudal system. Personally, I think it already is, and um, democracy is, is pretty well long dead. Democracy now is just a tool to get the rest of their agenda through, in fact, uh, it's like the Constitution is ignored when, when the government doesn't want to hear, and, of course, they use it when they want something to get rammed through. Same idea with democracy. It's used and abused uh, to get the rest of the agenda through, and we're living through the most incredible changes planned a long time ago, mind you, and taking generations to get up to speed till we're ready for the big changes. And, and a lot of folk are. We've been programmed our whole lives. Your parents were programmed before you, and, of course, we're living through this part of the, the major change is to try to bring in this globalistic, feudalistic system where 
basically fascists at the top with their own private clubs running the world, and the rest of you are run under a massive bureaucracy, which you pay for very handsomely from your tax money, a bureaucracy modelled after a a super-Soviet system, a communistic system for the masses, and that's really the system that's in play today. All living through it, as I say. And most folk, of course, who have adapted, people adapt very well, they understand behaviorism very well, psychology, neuro, uh, they've got uh, neurology all in a neuroscience working together to make sure that most folk, most the, the dead, the walking dead as they call them, uh, will float through it without knowing there's anything actually wrong. They adapt to all the PC changes that come their way. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. One of the biggest societies that's really behind the, the plan changes, as I've mentioned so many times, and it's mentioned by Professor Carl Quigley, who was a historian for at one point for this big rich society, the plan to shape the world, and they've actually done it all actually. They're still running it yet. They run all the media. In fact, all top journalists are members of the Council on Foreign Relations in the U.S. with our own branch in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, India has them, and have other ones across the world. And in Britain, they just simply call it the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is really the parent lodge, you might say. And they also have one established now for all the European politicians at the European Parliament. So the same crew are directing the world. Uh, the interesting thing is two branches of them set up the, the Fabian Society to control and, and guide the left wing, and uh, they also control the right wing. So they're, 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 they really are the body behind the shield to an extent, uh, at least the ones that are visible to us. And whenever you want to know what's happening in the world, uh, handouts are given out by them because the CFR, as I say, really has most of its membership in the journalistic and editorial world, television, and uh, and politics too. They put their own guys into politics all the time. In fact, every president and prime minister since the late 1800s, apparently, according to Quigley, was a member of this particular group right to the present day. So whenever you want to know what's happening, just look into what they're, they're saying on their own sites. And we see on the CFR blog that politics, power, and preventative action. So I guess it's time for a big P for those guys. And it says here, the 2011 G8 agenda. Now, you understand, too, these boys, when they started up, were comprised mainly, at least as far as the public have been told, of two groups. The Milner group, Lord Alfred Milner, who came from Germany, and uh, and also Cecil Rhodes Society, who was also co-partnered by the, the Rothschild at the time to take over the world's resources and bring in a type of system which we're living through today. They combined and formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They own and staff the Royal Society to direct all sciences. And all sciences, by the way, are directed. There's many, many directions society could go. And we don't think about that. We just take everything for granted. We're just progressing along and, and uh, willy-nilly. But no, you put your money into where you want research and development to go because it must match the society you've already planned. And as I said, they give handouts across the world to their, the rest of their members working in other newspapers. But from their blog here, it says that the 2011 G8 agenda, 
This is France, which currently holds the rotating presidency for the Group of Eight. Now, they started up, again, this Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR, uh, these terms, because they made so many different committees, and they were committees or groups, and they called them groups of two, four, and so on. Uh, the G20, the G8, this is all part of the same established system which they created, working on specialized areas of uh, controlling this world. And it says, and the G20 is hosting the annual G8 summit in the resort town of Deauville, May 26th, 27th. The meeting is slated to feature a general lineup of issues, including the global economy. Never a global economy, now you understand. Everything's global. Uh, political and security issues such as drug trafficking and terrorism, which is going to be an excuse for something else, exiting from Afghanistan, which of course won't happen yet, and Iran's nuclear program, because that's next on the list too, they've got Syria and Iran to go. That, that was what they had on their same list for the New American Century Group after they finished with Egypt elsewhere and Iraq and, and Afghanistan. And it says, and internet governance. And there's big, big uh, changes coming on the internet and uh, we're going to see that very toughly policed very shortly. I said a significant agenda item will be nuclear energy safety in the aftermath of March 11th Japanese earthquake and tsunami that destroyed the Fukushima nuclear plant. A summary priority will be two issued in sessions on the Arab Spring events in North Africa and the Middle East with leaders of Egypt and Tunisia, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and the heads of the Arab League the International Monetary Fund, the big boys, they're all getting together, and the World Bank. You understand this whole system is coming yet into the open more and more as they all get together at the same meetings all the time. This is other G8 sessions will be devoted to African economic and social development, which generally means plunder, you know, that's what they mean by that. They're also allowed to be sidelined discussions about candidates for the next head of the IMF, uh, a vacancy created after Dominic Strauss-Kahn's arrest and resignation. Then it goes on to some of the key concerns, supposedly, that they're going to... They understand that this meeting is a formality. Like, all these big things are formalities because they call the Sherpas, which they call them, the Sherpas are sent out a year ahead of world meetings to work. These are bureaucrats, high-level bureaucrats, and they basically plan everything, all the agendas, the topics, and they they draft up all the documents that are to be signed after these guys have their big uh, feasting session and drunken orgies. And it says here, it's really good as the U.S. is going down. A major Middle East speech, May 19th, Obama pledged to forgive one billion dollars in Egyptian debt. Isn't that nice? Isn't it? I guess it's, it must be nice to be in that position where you can forgive uh, all that money when it isn't yours anyway, and supply another one billion in loan guarantees for Egypt and Tunisia. Now that that's going to, that's also going to get uh, basically written off, and the American taxpayers, as always, will have to pay for it. It's the same whenever we give out this stuff and they forgive debts, uh, as they always put you down as a guarantor when they borrow more money from the World Bank. Anyway, he says, he also supports new investments across the region, including billions in aid from institutions like the World Bank, and is expected to outline a plan for reforming the Middle East at the summit. He may, oh, it must be great, we're going to reform the Middle East, you know, we've got the right to do that. He also meets on, uh, may meet on the sidelines with Russian President Dmitry Medvedev to discuss a planned U.S. missile shield in Europe. Because of challenges in Congress, Obama is unable to provide Russia with the binding guarantees it seeks that the missile shield would not be used against him. Well, who's it really there for, eh? Uh, this is Brookings Institution Stephen uh, Pfeiffer uh, uh, notes. However, he argues that Obama can offer political guarantees and greater cooperation, such as 
a jointly manned early warning centre. Obama is already threatening to veto a bill that would attempt to limit the administration's implementation of the strategic arms agreement with Russia. Obama is also expected to meet bilaterally with Japanese Prime Minister Naito Kan to talk about nuclear safety with German Chancellor Angela Merkel about the Eurozone crisis. And then they're going about, in the wake of the May 14th arrest of uh, IMF Chief Dominic Strauss-Kahn, a chief political rival of uh, President Narcosi, Sarkozy, the summit could provide Sarkozy a chance to earn much-needed political points. And it goes on and on about other things too. And France actually is heading this meeting, so that's probably why they got their first dibs as an honour to, you know, to bomb a few countries, well, Libya and stuff like that. Who's the honours this year? Oh, it's France. Okay, you can go and bomb them first and get first dibs in the oil. Anyway, that's how it's presented to us. It's all done in advance, as I say. That's why these guys can write it out. And who better than the guys who planned it to see it comes from foreign relations? Then when you go to the BBC, and I've talked about these massive luncheons they have, that's all they go for to, to meet. They slap each other on the back and um, uh, have great feasts and fanfare and lots of prostitutes all paid for by taxpayers' money, and uh, which is well known. I'm not making this stuff up. It's been in major and mainstream and uh, lots of big boozing and stuff like that. But in the BBC article, which is pretty well the same, actually, because, again, it's all Council of Foreign Relations members, or as I say, Royal Institute of International Affairs, as they call it in Britain, it uh, says here that um, the summit opened uh, uh, the French tradition leaders meant to, gar- to agree the sale of four French-built Mistral helicopters carriers to Russia at a cost of at least 400 million euros each. So we're a war industry now. Anything that's at all working is actually a, a war industry. It says, in drizzling rain, President Sarkozy welcomed his guests to the coastal casino resort as they were heralded by trumpets. Isn't that wonderful to just live like royalty? In this age of austerity, trumpets blaring, red carpets, all that. The red carpet idea, you understand, came from sovereignty in ancient times because the great god Ra, you know, the sun god, uh, the very old, old god, and uh, it would make his path across the sky, but in the morning, eventually he would blaze a red color, a very red color. That was him blazing uh, and preparing his path for the day and the, the path of the world to follow. So all sovereigns who then became sun kings and sun queens uh, had to copy the same thing, and that's what the red carpet's for. Now these characters have got it, and uh, they have trumpets and, and all that heraldry stuff to welcome them into their big luncheon with make little private deals and all the rest of it. So you can read both of the articles. I'll put them up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the broadcast for those that want to wade through it. But it's all predictable. We're well on course to the agenda. And there's nothing to stop it, you see, because there's only one system in the world that, that actually works and is working and makes sure that there's no opposition. And then that's the ones I'm talking about right here. It's their world. It's their future. They've planned it all. And the stuff that they're giving us right here is kind of exoteric because they also have their esoteric group, their inner party, and, and then they don't let non-members know about uh, what they, they're really on about there. You probably wouldn't want to know. It's about depopulation and stuff like that. Now, <laughs> it says, um, Congress tonight in the U.S. has a midnight deadline on the anti-terror bill. And it's uh, Congress is rushing to extend. Can you imagine Congress actually rushing? Have you ever seen these guys rushing anywhere? except to the bar. Congress is rushing to extend the life of three anti-terror tools, including the use of roving wiretaps before they expire midnight Thursday. The Senate was set to start voting on the legislation, including possible amendments. 
Thursday morning. Final passage during the day would send it to the House for quick approval and then onward to President Barack Obama in Europe for his signature. I wonder if his hand up be steady about all that uh, heavy meals and, you know, uh, sups of special stuff about goblets. The rapid-fire action on key elements of the post-911 USA Patriot Act comes after several days of impasse in the Senate and results in part from the prodding of senior intelligence officials who warned of the consequences of disrupting surveillance operations. So they're going to keep this perpetual war across the world going until they have got the society, the world society that they want, the world system, and perpetual war, perpetual surveillance, perpetual terrorism acts across the world. Isn't that wonderful? Lovely future, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back and cutting through the matrix. And just before I go to callers... Uh, there's an article here uh, that's just come out. Uh, I love this transparency in government, isn't it? The speed of light travels differently from government sources, though it's, it kind of gets to us a few years later. It says, the Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs and Royal Bank of Scotland, which is actually mainly government owned by, by London, each borrowed at least $30 billion, uh, or $30 billion, yeah, U.S., it says, in 2008, from a Federal Reserve Emergency Lending Program whose details weren't revealed to shareholders, members of Congress, or the public. It says, the, the 80 U.S. billion initiative called Single Tranche Open Market Operations, or STOMO, I thought OMO was, a, was something that made your clothes whiter and white. I guess the laundry eh? made 28-day loans from March through December 2008, a period in which confidence in global credit markets collapsed after September 15, the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers Holdings. Units of 20 banks were required to bid at auctions for the cash. They paid interest rates as low as 0.01% that December when the Fed's main lending facility charged 0.5%. It says this was a pure sub- subsidy, said Robert A. Eisenbeis, former head of research at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and now chief monetary economist at Florida-based Cumberland Advisors. The Fed hasn't been forthcoming with disclosures overall. Why should this be any different? Federal Bank of New York, which oversaw the STOMO, posted aggregate data about the program on its website after each auction, said Jeffrey V. Smith, a New York Fed spokesman. By increasing the availability of short-term financing when private lenders were under pressure, this program helped alleviate strains in financial markets, sometimes it covered up all the the crooked deals we're doing, and support the flow of credit to the U.S. households and businesses, he said. It's amazing they can screw you and then turn around and say they're trying to help you, eh? Isn't that wonderful? But that's what psychopaths do. Now, there's a caller from Montreal. It's Hershid who's on the line. Are you there, Hershid? Hello? Hello? Yes. Hi, Alan. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm surviving just about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I listened to a couple of your talks. They were quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask you a small question. Yeah. So in one of your talks, or I think more than one, I listened that uh, you said at some point of time that Marx, Karl Marx was funded by Rothschild and even the Communist Manifesto in 1848 or something like that was, was the Rothschild funding. It was a product of Rothschild funding. I, I, was just, I just wanted to look at the 
reference or source? Like, how can I get the real source where it's... Well, you, you have to go beyond beyond the sources that the Council on Foreign Relations have given you, which is most of the stuff you'll get off the bookstores, unless you go and, and buy books written in the late 1800s into the early 1900s. About 1920, everything, all history was written by members of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations. As I say, even Winston Churchill uh, made a speech about that when he found this out. He was out of the loop. He wasn't in the know. And he says it's amazing that a group like this, uh, a group like the, the he, at that time he called it was a Milner group, mainly they knew the name by, and he said it's amazing that they can actually uh, plan conflicts and wars to bring in a, a, a society which, and he was talking about global government, which they wanted. I mean, they were, they were agitating from the late 1880s uh, for a war with Germany. They wanted world wars. Uh, so they could direct the, the, the direction of it. And it says, it's even worse, it says, when every school child and every student in university are reading history books written by the same members who are actually planning the future. So you have to go into the, the books to see where the funding was really going for, for the major characters in history, especially in the 1800s. There's that, you can actually go earlier, in fact, because this group has been on the go for many centuries. And... Um, I mean, I've got stacks of books here. I can't read them right now because they're in a different room. But the stacks of books out there, they always give you a... Whenever you see a rags-to-riches story or someone really struggling for the people, you know there's something going on there. It doesn't matter at all because these boys plan to bring through their system by the dialectic. They were all Hegelian and inspired. They truly believed that out of conflict comes... Uh, a future which you can direct, but you must create the conflict. You must have left and right on the go at the same time. And that's why we're going through it today uh, with a, a form of Marxism, on the one hand, utterly uh, destroying what was left of the old society, including the family unit, and even male and female, or even what it is to be a man or a woman. And on the other hand, you have the big boys at the top, supposedly right-wing who are pushing their war industry across the world and grabbing all the resources. So it's a long, long, long trek, and you're not going to find it from, from your, your standard modern books at all. That's what I'm asking. Like, it's not in the mainstream. So Because what I know is that Marx was living in extreme poverty when he went to London. He was, like, he was sent to exile. That, that's what they tell you. But when you, when you, look, at, uh, when you look at Marx's favorite friend who owned factories, Marx was not living in poverty at all. He was not living in poverty at all. That's what, uh, that's what I know. So that's what I'm asking. Like, do you, yeah. So how do I... Because that's what we know through history books. So to verify that Marx was not living in utter poverty and he was funded yeah. by Rothschild. So I, I'm, I would like to read those uh, those sources or those, those sort of references. So can you suggest... I'll, I'll try and do something on that in, in, when I get the time. I mean, we give you some of the history or maybe a lecture on, on the air, a couple of lectures on some of this history because it's, it's really so bogus when you see, again, who, who the, his friends were, who was funding him with his writings. Uh, and you, do you think they'd let him live in poverty at the same time? No, I don't think so. Back after this break. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. And just to, just to end with Hershey 2, I was thinking there that uh, apart from the, the rags to riches story, which is exactly the same as Rothschild himself, you know, they just were rag merchants and they just got lucky and that kind of nonsense. That's how history is written and we're supposed to believe it. But you'll find uh, that um, even the funding continued to all the, the communist revolutionaries uh, including Lenin himself. Lenin had private bank accounts, so did all the boys, Trotsky and all the rest of it, in Switzerland. And there's a couple of excellent videos out at the moment. I'll try and get a hold of them and maybe put them up tonight after the broadcast. And you can see that these guys were anything but for the people. They were certainly playing their part, and they were well picked for their psychopathic tendencies. But Marx himself, I mean, he was kicked out of Germany as a, basically a fatal journalist, uh, a little scribbler, uh, who himself was just a, a, a sideline revolutionary in extent, but he was picked up and certainly pushed to the top in Britain. Now, you think about it, too, Britain ruled the world at that time, supposedly, and you really think they'd bring in this agitator and allow him to do his stuff without touching him? Uh, no way at all. Britain even allowed them to have the biggest halls in London for the World Revolutionary Parties that, that, that said they were going to destroy all royalty and all systems of government. Why would Britain do that? It's because, you see, London already controlled it. That was its base. That's why. Now, we'll go to Paul from Ontario, who's on the line. Are you there, Paul? Hello? Yeah, hello there, Alan. Yes. How are you? Not too bad. Yep. Okay, I'm actually uh, from your neck of the woods, I guess, from uh, Toronto. You are, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, regrettably. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, uh, you know, uh, Canada is just uh, one of those uh, uh, very deceptive places, at least the way people perceive it to be. But, Don't you uh, yeah. Don't It's they? got a very <laughs> dark underbelly, doesn't it? It's astonishing. Again, uh, these guys who run the world and who've planned this for a long time, uh, I mean, they sort of rose up the U.S. to be the kind of knight in shining armor that wasn't tainted with conquest. And they couldn't use Britain because Britain was already rampaging across the world. France was the same. Uh, Germany was trying to get into countries like Africa. Uh, so they had to get a new sh- knight in shining armor that would lead the, the people into a new world, a fair world, and so on. So they created the U.S., and their symbols are all across Washington, D.C., very ancient symbols, and they certainly aren't Christian or, or Muslim or anything else. They're definitely from Egypt. But uh, Canada itself, again, the cap, we're the cap on top of the U.S. And when you see how much influence uh, is, is really put on the U.S. from Canada, it's quite astonishing that the incredibly wealthy families uh, that are very quiet, live in Canada, and who are top players in this big world league here, uh, top money lenders and, and related to royalty and so on. It's just astonishing what we do here. And, and leading the world in bacterial and viral warfare since World War II, uh, stuff like that is quite astonishing. As we try to portray ourselves as uh, helping the helping hand across the world, and yet they managed to keep it quiet. We've got our own special air service squadrons here, uh, and we've had them for quite a few years now, trained by Britain, uh, and these special forces have been active for years, and all the countries are not supposed to be in. I mean, it's going over and getting bloodied and killing people. So Canada is very, very good at giving out a PR image to the rest of the world as a squeaky clean, covered in snow type country. Yeah. Yes, certainly is. Uh, anyways, I, I just called to say, though, uh, I appreciate your uh, encyclopedic knowledge, and it's always, uh, you know, learn some uh, new nuggets of uh, 
information about history in the present world uh, from your show. So thank you for the work that you do. Yeah, thanks uh, for coming. Before I go, I just wanted to make one comment uh, in that uh, because you know when you, when, especially as you observed yourself, that a lot of these things, you know, they they go back to uh, if you go back in time to history and back uh, to Samaria, Babylon, etc. Mm -hmm. There's always an occult uh, linking to the present time, at least, uh, you know, the people that uh, run the show, so to speak, on the earth, yeah. uh, they are definitely involved in uh, in the dark arts and uh, their practices and rituals, which, uh, you know, the average person uh, who's uh, kept entertained by American Idol, etc., has no idea about. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, is it not wise? Do you not think that... Uh, it's really, uh, you, we cannot view this thing in purely human terms. You know, otherwise it doesn't yeah, really make yeah. sense when you just look at it from a, uh, just a human perspective because the things that these guys do, you know, like destroying the planet and, uh, you know, all that stuff, if they just want to kill some people, they could easily set up a society as have existed all through history, like the Aztecs or, you know, where you want to do some sacrifices, etc. If you got the power, you go ahead and do it. Sure. Uh, so uh, don't you think there's something beyond the, the planetary, uh, beyond the visible realm that is directing? The well, human, the th they're component? definitely into that. They're, they're definitely into that. There's no doubt at all uh, their histories um, show you that they were definitely into. Even someone uh, like uh, Albert Pike, who wrote basically what was, and still is for some high members, the, the Masonic Bible, his Morals and Dogma book, um, and I've no doubt it was written by a, a few different hands, basically. It wasn't just one person writing it. It's too much uh, detail. I mean, Hebrew, Greek, uh, Latin, a whole bunch of ancient histories he came up with, etc. One guy simply couldn't do all of that or have the, all the information available to him. Um, but uh, he set out the, the, the system that seems very pragmatic. Again, he was also head of the World Revolutionary Society, and he was set up to do that. And that's when Freemasonry came in from France. It called itself the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. It wasn't Scottish at all. And uh, these are the guys that love the 33rd degree to put bombs on in their main lodges and stuff like that. So even though he goes through all this stuff, a learned guy, supposedly, uh, he also uh, loved to go into uh, meetings with mediums, that their own mediums, and uh, trying to get portents of the future through... Uh, these these mediums, they call them channelers today, I suppose. And um, they've definitely been involved in, in stuff like that. When you go into even Benjamin Franklin, high-ranking Mason, uh, he was the, the grand master of the Nine Sisters Lodge in France. In fact, in fact, he initiated Voltaire into the same lodge. Uh, Franklin himself, and they had orgies, by the way, blatant orgies, well-funded too, when you actually see in the Franklin Institute his diaries, of how much they got in for wine and brandy and food every week, and his horsemen and his groomers. This this little you know plain guy from America image that they have. Uh, he really wined and dined, but he was also into um, a lot of the, the, these kind of things, uh, sexual magic, etc. Um, so uh, this goes way way back into ancient days, of course, and to and to mainly Babylon. They love Babylon for some reason. And coming out of Babylon is, is very big to them. Uh, look at the pageantry they have today. As I say, when, they, when you're watching the G8 or the G20 meeting and all the security that you're all paying for so they can go and have a big massive lunch and an orgy and booze up, and that's really what it is, by the way, and make little personal deals with each other for their own bank accounts, um, 
and then sign all the stuff that was made up by the Sherpas, uh, you, you look at the pageantry of them, even this one here with the, the red carpet treatment and, and uh, trumpeters, like some medieval announcement or something. I mean, this is all ritual you're watching. And these guys are so incredibly ritualistic, it's astonishing. Now, everything in our society to do with law is pure ritual. Children uh, sometimes will go through this kind of thing when they're copying movies they watch on soldiers and they're into that, they're starting to attention and marching. But for grown men to actually to go in and take oaths and binding oaths of secrecy to each other and go through all this incredible um, mind-bending stuff with physical movements, uh, kneeling, uh, bearing chests, uh, blood oaths with some of the high, high lodges, uh, and so on, th- then they take it very, very, very seriously indeed. Um, and then we go into, uh, again, the theosophists, which member them, many of them were members of as well. You can be members of different lodges at the same time. We see the feminist movement coming out of the, the Fabian Society because Anne Besant from the Theosophists was put on the, to be the, the first one to push feminism for women. And she was into creating a world messiah. It sounds crazy to talk about, but that's in the, the history books. Look in the Fabian Society today, I'll tell you that. So it's just astonishing to find that they're heavily into this ritualistic kind of mentality. And it's not just watching royal weddings or a coronation, which are highly ritualistic, going way back to pre-England, obviously, and, and outside of England, because the only people you see wearing these, these um, uh, the fur around the neck, apart from the House of Lords and the Queen and royalty, uh, this mottled, speckled black and white, is Nimrod of ancient, you know, the ancient days, you know. You'll see the old uh, stelas uh, of him, he was the founder of Babylon, by the way. He was, that was the beginning of his kingdom, was Babylon. Yeah, Babylon, and it has many meanings, Babylon. And Nimrod himself has many meanings, too, because in theology's side of it, uh, he was also a representative of a descendant of Cain and sometimes coupled with Satan himself, uh, sometimes known as that. And, of course, the, it's not so much the way they describe uh, Nimrod is as all the titles that he had, and they're very big on the. the, the it's like all the old ancient gods had many titles, and so he, apart from being a master builder and all all that kind of stuff, he also wanted to build a tower, a plan, in other words, to uh, go up to heaven, uh, symbolic of taking over all that had been made by God. In other words, a world ruler is, is what it, this dream has never died, and become. Uh, he'd be above all gods, in other words. And th- this plan has never, ever, ever died. Uh, there's an old book that was written by Hislop. Uh, it was called The Two Babylons. It's an excellent read on all of that. And you'll find so many connections to today and to the high societies and all this ritualistic nonsense you're watching uh, when the G20 and G8 meets. The Vatican and the, the Popes and all those, you know, their rituals are. Uh... Well, it's, it's interesting that Alastair Crowley, uh, who was a he, he was a member of the Anglican Church when he was brought up as a, a child. In fact, he's the very fundamental family he, he was came out of. But he called himself the Beast and the Great Satan and all that kind of thing, and all also into sexual magic and he he abused lots of women and I think he may have killed a few in the way along too. 
Uh, but anyway, he said this, that he's the guy who advocated the best sacrifice was a, a young male child. But uh, he said that he wanted to destroy all religions except Catholicism. He says because they still retained so many of the pagan ritualistics within the Catholic Church. So that's an interesting observation. Yes. And no matter how anything starts up, though, here's the key to it. I mean, the Vatican was saddled from its early uh, birth, really, with being an empire already. So it's already into politics and doing things off the world through devious means, because you can't separate the two. Uh, you always get devious people going up into politics anyway. So, uh, and it's, so they try to couple it with uh, their religion as well. And it, it wasn't long before it was heavily corrupted. And with each great meeting they had uh, to, to formulate uh, the system, it got tighter and tighter and, and more uh, intolerant of everyone else. And um, that's what happens to all societies uh, as they go on in time. And that's why, in, in reality too, you could never ever have uh, this dream utopia if human beings stay the way they are. And every generation you have psychopaths born, you get the uh, the, the, the crooks uh, are born, uh, you always get the ones who want to get to the top and, and lord over other people. And uh, that's why all the pie-in-the-skies utopias they always give you uh, fall flat in their face and turn out generally to be horror shows like the Soviet system that killed about 80 million people or more probably by the time it was finished. Um, China did the same. Is it finished? <laughs> yeah, so you understand what I'm saying is that uh, uh, they, they always give you utopias while they themselves, the inner elite, will will literally have their, their inner own religion and they take it awfully seriously. And they do it in the lodge with no windows, as they call it, you know. Um, Let me so ask you a question before. I, I don't want to take up all your time, but uh, yeah. you see, like, uh, personally, of course, I, I personally believe in the Bible and I believe in Jesus Christ. So when, when the Bible tells us that Satan is the god of this world, that he's devised all the systems and institutions of this world, and that's what these people are into, satanic practices, and there's such a concerted effort in the media to discredit the Bible. So does that not perhaps prove that if the Bible was not true, that there were, there were need to discredit it. We don't read about them trying to discredit the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or the Tibetan Book of the Dead or any of the other so-called holy scriptures. So why so much effort mm-hmm. is spent on trying to discredit the Bible if it really is false? If it was really false, mm-hmm. you know, it would disprove itself. And so a lot of people, a lot of people think the same thing. Um, as I say, because you got to understand that Christianity in its early form, in its early form, was a life change, a world changing, ancient world changing system. And it was the first religion that came along that gave you a, a worth, no matter how low you were as an individual. Before that, if you were a nobody, you were a slave. And everyone could be killed by, by the rich, uh, uh, hutzpahs anytime they wanted to do it with impunity. Um, no one, no one thought of themselves as having any worth to a, a deity. Kings were blessed by deity. Rich people. Yeah, the rich religious people. elites were very much, uh, you know, the priests and the and the wealthy. They were partners, yeah. and uh, and yeah. they were the elites in any society in the Hindu Brahmins and everything. It was but no one had ever said that you you matter. You 
matter. No one ever, ever said that. So in a sense, it was a revolutionary system that came into being where for the first time ordinary people and on an individual basis says, you know, I'm not a nobody at all. You know, um, somebody or something cares about me. And that, that, that really was a revolutionary idea in its day. And uh, that's why it had to be brought back into a mass, a mass again, like the Catholic Mass. Uh, and then you're under a priest once again, even though the whole idea was to get rid of the middleman who was the priest. And it's right in the, in the New Testament. So there's no doubt about that. It's been an awful nuisance. But then again, the system that already predated it had no problem eventually taking it over and using it to its own uh, purposes. Uh, they always do that. It, didn't, it wouldn't matter uh, what came along next. Uh, if a god himself came down and left you with uh, another another system, uh, they'd take it over because these guys never give up, remember? They never give up. And remember, too, it's interesting, too, as the statements they make about the Lord of the world. Uh, what is the Lord of the world? The, the Greeks went into it in great detail. They call it the Demiurgos. That really was a, a low-level god that was in charge of the world, Early Christianity would call it a Satan or a Lucifer. And uh, uh, what is the Lord of the world? Well, the Lord of the world is the one that blesses you with money, wealth, and a good time on this planet, and a big family who carry on you into posterity. So that's the way the high chutzpahs in the world see it today. And I've actually heard some guys in the music industry talk about the serving the Lord of the world. And I know what they're referring to, and it's not the one you think about. But but thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Good speaking with you. Thanks. Bye now. Folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and we've got Werner from New Brunswick, who I think has a few problems here with his cattle. Is that right, Werner? Pardon? Is, is it the, you're the farmer, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was wondering if I, if you got uh, what I sent to you. I did. It was fascinating to watch what what, what you've recorded there. Said, you know, it uh, it needed some more work, but I ran out of money, so I couldn't do any more editing work on it. But you've done very good documentation. Werner's had a big problem on his farm for many years. Odd thing, odd things happening to his his cattle and so on. By the way, do you have do you have that uh, that video up anywhere on YouTube or Google? No, or? I, I don't. And uh, I'm I'm a dummy on the internet. But uh, Alan, that wasn't the reason why I was calling about. Uh, yes. But uh, the last caller, he basically, you know, both of you, you were, uh, you know, going right into the uh, origin why. Uh, the things are happening that are happening nowadays, mm-hmm. and uh, this is about years ago. I, when I was thinking about it, it all got rooted in uh, Babylon. You know, yeah. uh, let us be like gods. That's right. That's exactly what the boast was. Uh, let, let us be like gods and even rise above the heavens and, and above all the gods. Yeah. Uh, this is basically uh, Satan's uh, Satan's whole purpose uh, to have as many of mankind join him in in yes. his ultimate revolt against the Almighty. Yeah. Well, I can remember, too, even Rolling Stones did their tribute to the devil. Uh, it's been used in a few movies, in fact, that song. And they also did the, one of their tours. It was called um, Bridges to Babylon or Bridge to Babylon, it was called as well. And, of course, they're up there in the, in the Order Templi Orientis, the old Crowley group that really originated in Germany initially, 
but it's all over, especially entertainment systems. And they're all into this kind of stuff, and it's very real to them. And it's, it's something certainly rewarded them for sure. There's no doubt on that. But they also help in the destruction of, of culture and society and direct the next culture. So that's why they're well rewarded, I guess. But you're right. They, they make a big, big deal of that ancient time. And, of course, out of Babylon, Babylon came, of course, the high priesthood who never disappeared um, uh, even ancient Egypt, when they had to go and reset the times for the days of the year, they called in the top priests from Babylon and they recorded that and it's been found in, in uh, again, in Egypt, their writings and, and some of the, the places have dug up. So these were the, these were the, wi- the wisest uh, men and all the ancient sciences of their time. And of course, they also were, were very secretive in the way that they gained their knowledge and how they picked their members. And they were very, very wealthy. They had the, the wealth of the ancient world. And as I say, oh, Babylon, how have you been fallen, etc. Uh, they ran the trade routes. They ran uh, all commerce, banking, loans. And they funded armies for warfare across the ancient world. Uh, they didn't just dis- disappear. They, they moved on, obviously. And these, these so-called modern systems are simply the later um, manifestations of the same organizational system. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, the uh, advancements, uh, advancement of uh, technology and science, yep. uh, it serves basically in, uh, the ultimate purpose uh, to make mankind very powerful. Yep. And when man- mankind becomes very powerful, then more of uh, us humans would be willing to join Satan in his revolt against the Almighty One. If man would be a humble shepherd, it never would come in in his mind to challenge the Almighty One. There's no doubt at all that put so much of our money into extending their own lives. Eventually, and they're working towards, as, as David Suzuki, a big player, a geneticist too, uh, and big player for the UN, he said a few years ago on Korean television, he said, we have the technology now to make a man last 500 years if we so wish. Well, immortality was always the ancient goal, even in ancient times, through science, and they haven't stopped yet. But thanks for calling, Werner. Uh, we're out of time now. From Hamish, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your gods, go with you. <laughs>